My name is Mark Severson. I am my wife and Beth and myself are part of us, uh, part of Newcom, and it's a joy to be able to be with you uh, here this morning. I hope that it's okay with you that I actually try to get around these Christmas decorations here. I thought one would be painted green, you know, kind of that offset sort of a thing, but nevertheless, I don't know if these are the jaws of death or something like that. <laughs> Uh, good, good, good uh, segue to hope, right? So um, here we go. I uh, uh, travel a lot and wish I could be here more. And part of my travel is for our denomination, working with churches uh, around the United States and Canada and going to places in the world where we're engaged in partnering with wonderful sisters and brothers that are doing extraordinary things um, that... Uh, just give us a sense of great joy and thanksgiving that we get to partner with them. And as Newcom has made those connections as well, too, we know what that's like, isn't it? Go someplace in the world and just see the strength of God's people and the ways that they encourage and challenge and teach us also. So it's a great joy to, be, uh, to do that, but it's also a great joy to be able to come home. And it was just Monday of just before Thanksgiving, so I think we're naming days now, so it would be like Turkey Monday, right? And so on Turkey Monday, I'm back in the airport, I'm the United Terminal, and I'm walking towards the escalators, and I hear Christmas music playing. And there's a guy on the piano right there in the terminal, and he's playing Christmas music, and it's not Thanksgiving yet. And it's just kind of like this, um, I'm not ready for this. I'm just not ready for this, and unless you think that now, why do we have him preaching if he's not ready for Christmas? I want to clarify that a little bit. I'm not ready for the season. I wasn't ready for the season. Do you know what I mean by that? You know, the production, the sort of a 24-7 reminders that there are things to buy for people. I mean, good people, people I love, and I'm excited to buy them, but it's just kind of like, it just starts to ramp up. And, and, and here we are now. Uh, we have survived uh, Black Friday, right? And, and then there was Cyber Monday. And, you know, I noticed on my app that there's like Cyber Tuesday, too. You know, it just kind of keeps going, doesn't it? But it, there, was, there was Giving Tuesday. And uh, then the radio advertisement I heard even this Friday was that we're, we're still in Black Friday. It's like a whole week now. And, and we haven't even had our first Sunday of Advent yet. You know, it's just kind of that crush of this whole thing that it's kind of like, oh, brace yourself, Mark. Are, are you ready for this? We may already be ready to pull back and try to take a breath, and we've just begun Advent. Is that possible? I'm hoping that we can actually pull back and breathe together. We've begun that in our time of worship and celebration, but we really want to do that for the whole Advent season, to, to come into this place together, and go into our small groups and sit back and just kind of take a breath and say, what is this? Um, and how do, I, how do I engage in that? There are really three steps that I would invite you to take with me on this. The first is this to ask the Holy Spirit to do transformative work in us and among us. You know, it's so easy, I think, for me and for us to say, yeah, I don't want to be influenced by the machine. 
you know, the whole industry of it. I, I, I want to just step away from that, but, you know, some of that's in me. It's not out there, it's in here. There's, there's some stuff in me that's Scrooge, that's the Grinch, uh, that's so fed up with the stuff around Christmas that um, I don't even remember the truths of Christmas very clearly anymore. I've just kind of gotten cynical or, or even distant, right? And I've just forgot what the, what is this thing? What is Christmas about? So that's the first thing is to invite the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pray in just a little bit before we walk into this. To invite the Holy Spirit to just kind of help us um, enter back into it and do some transformative stuff inside of our hearts and our heads and our relationships. And then the second part of this is to deconstruct some of the perspectives that we have around this season. You know, you ever get that present and you open the box and it says, assembly required? This is disassembly required. That's what this is about here. To acknowledge that the activity, that the commercials, the holiday parties, the memories of family celebrations, the broken ones, and, and the also the, the cherished ones, that all of that stuff doesn't really fit the definition of Advent or of, of Christmas, really. You know, what if we checked Wikipedia and it simply said, see the Gospel of Matthew chapters 1 and 2? Wouldn't that be great? Or Isaiah 9 or Zechariah 9. This is where we're going to go this morning, actually, to Matthew chapter 2. But there's a third part of it, because after we do the deconstruction, there's the reconstruction that's necessary, right? How do we construct an Advent faith? I want to call it that because, you know, faith, all these words we use, they just get laced with stuff. And can we just call it Advent faith? And by that, I don't mean seasonal. I mean centered how do we get back this centered faith that centers around this word, this reality of Advent? If you look on the internet and look up Advent and you use Google for it, it says it's a noun and it's the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Unfortunately, the sentence used to embed the word is the advent of television. But we, we, we know what we're talking about here, right? The arrival of a notable person, making it a notable event. So what does this Advent faith look like? There are people who do the hard work of pushing back the noise, the commercialism, the distorted constructs, and find remarkable simplicity of hope and peace and joy and love. And that's what we want to do. Oh, those people, they still go to parties. They still decorate. Uh, they still buy things and wear Christmas sweaters. But internally, they're marked by Advent faith. I want that for me. I want that for you because it looks like you want it for you. I want that for us as a church family, to be marked by this 
Advent season. So, so let's spend four weeks here in a construction project called Advent Faith. Not seasonal, but centered faith. And this morning we start with hope. So would you join me in prayer? God, I want this, Lord. I want this hope um, that uh, you have graced us with. So I pray now that you help me to be as clear as I need to be and your Holy Spirit to have the freedom that the Spirit needs so that we actually would be uh, transformed in, in some ways that might even surprise us a bit this morning as we walk out of here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start with a complaint, okay? Zach's and Caitlin gave me Matthew 2 as the passage. Zach's, what were you guys thinking? You know, I thought they're asking me to preach on hope. And I think that's great. And we've read some really good passages already this morning, right? That Isaiah, now unto you a child is born. And then the Zechariah passage. But come on, Matthew 2? For hope? I mean, look at it with me, all right? Pull out your smartphones or whatever you've got around you and just listen to this and, and tell me if you find any hope there. Okay? Verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, bad, 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 bad guy, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? When they saw his star, when we saw his star, it rose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. What does that mean? But everybody's disturbed. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, in Bethlehem and Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for me. For the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Yeah. This is the beginning of the slaughter of children in Bethlehem. I mean, this isn't a story. This is real life. This happened. There were moms and dads and siblings with a little brother or a little sister. And they were pulled from the hands of their parents and their families. And this is absolute devastation. Do you see what I'm talking about? This story is a story about a king that is treacherous, that is deceitful, that is on a power trip, that is a narcissist. Children will die. Innocence will suffer. Injustice wins again. Hope? Are you kidding me? 
So I read this and I, just to kind of reacquaint me with the text beforehand, I just thought, Zach, you're going to get a phone call right now, or Caitlin, because I want a better text. Well, actually, it wasn't Zach's or Caitlin. This is the history of the church. This is a text that's embedded, that is read around the world and has been read for centuries around this thing called Advent. So let's look and see if we can find hope here. In fact, let's examine the substance of this Advent hope that is birthed in this place, in this time. Well, there are a couple of elements of it that I want to get to before we talk about what do we walk out of here with. And the first is that when we're talking about this hope, we're talking about it as, as material hope, as, as the substance of hope. You know, we know that it's about waiting and hoping, but that's a verb. At its core, hope is a noun. It is a thing we, we actually, if we look at our language, it's something we have. You know, we, we have hope or we live with hope. It's not something that we just kind of manufacture inside. I want you to, I want you to be more hopeful. Let's get out of here and let's just... Let's just try really hard to be hopeful. No, it's a thing like this, this podium here. I, am, I, I have this podium. I'm, I'm beside this podium. And that's what Advent hope is. It is not primarily a verb, although that's what flows out of it, but it is a, it is a material thing. Let me just ask you a couple questions here. Just out of curiosity, how many of you hope the Bears win the Super Bowl? Boy, thin crowd. <laughs> how many of you hope for a white Christmas? Okay, we're a little bit better off there. How many hope your family might be together for Christmas? How many hope it goes really well and not like last time? <laughs> yeah, you see all of those things we're talking about here illustrate one of the difficulties that we have with hope and our understanding of hope. It's something we kind of, it's like wishful thinking. It's, it's just kind of one of those things where we, let's dream a little, all right? Um, let's be a little more optimistic. It's almost like we think it's positive self-talk. And to be a good Christian is to be engaged in Positive self-talk. It is Advent, and the theme is hope. But that's not what we see here. Because there's no reason for that kind of positive self-talk when children are slaughtered. It's got to be something deeper than that, something other than that. It's not what we feel. It's what is there. There is this thing that God wants to give us to, give to us materially, and he wants you to have it. Would you like this? And we hold out our hands and we say, yes, that's what I want. I want to carry it. I, I want I want to be externally sourced with hope. That's the first piece of it. It is material. The second thing is, is that it's powerful. Now, I'm not talking about 
the impact of having hope, you know, kind of, whoa, there's power and optimism. I'm not talking about its impact. I'm talking about the inherent character of Advent hope. It is characterized by strength and by resilience. This Advent hope doesn't need the protection of safe places. It's not like we gather together in a, in a church and we have a candle and we make sure it's protected. No, no, this hope resides in one of the most broken places in the world, filled with treachery and injustice and narcissism, and God puts that hope right there. This is resilient hope. This is powerful hope. Hope is not possible because despair and injustice live far from here. Hope is possible because in the midst of despair and injustice right here, hope is bigger than those things. That's what we're talking about here. It's audacious, really, to talk about hope in a harsh world, but that's what God does. He makes the audacious declaration about a thing that you can have if you wish. And it is strong. And it is resilient. And it is powerful. It is not wrong to think that hope is an audacious thing. It's just stunningly bold. It is not naive. There's a claim here. I can stand in the storm with this hope. You can stand in the storm with this hope. This is hope among broken dreams and seemingly reasonable pessimism. I'm preaching to myself right now. This is hope that is found even in the wreckage of injustice. So a week and a half ago, I was with a number of students at Alaska Christian College. Went out for coffee and hung out with these young students. Heart-wrenching stories. Young men and women now who have endured injustices I've never experienced or even imagined were possible. People who grew up in an environment in which they were declared to be savages and somehow it just got embedded in the psyche of who they were and their parents were. Many who endured assault repeatedly had to leave their village to go to a boarding school because it was the only place that they could survive. Many abandoned, had no clue of who their mom or their dad was. Many lived with a sense of diminishment that my parents are more focused on the next binge and care more about it than me and my siblings. And yet in the middle of that world, I heard one story after another of resilience and strength and resolve. 
not rooted in positive self-talk, but this Advent hope. There's another aspect of this hope, and that is it is life-altering hope. Advent hope makes a declaration about our present and our future. It encourages, it lifts the spirit. In verse 6, we see that prophecy, and it says, for out of you will come. And there's a sense of that gives me a reason for hope now and whatever it is that's coming. It's going to build and develop. You know, this, this infant child will grow and the hope around this child and embodied in this child. These prophets' words are said in the midst of despair. The coming one will lead. The coming one will protect. The coming one will nurture. The coming one will call you his own. My wife has a, has a uh, uh, plaque or whatever you call it in her office in North Park. And uh, she picked it on purpose. It says this, not to spoil the ending, but it's going to be okay. Before we get to the justifiable reason for our hope, I want us to just acknowledge the alternatives. You might want to just pull out your um, worship guide or what do we call it around here? Is that all right? You know what I mean? This thing right here. You'll see, I, I, this is mine. I, there's, there's nothing uh, researched in this, so this, I'm just throwing this out there, right? But as I look at hope, I, I think, what is hope? But I just put it in this diagram. In the upper left-hand side, you see, um, and above the top, there's this thing that I want to call Advent faith. And, uh, and, and on the lower level, something less than that. I'm, I'm not going to go any deeper than that, but something less than what God um, longs for for us to experience with Advent faith. And uh, I just, and then on the, there's the, our past and there's our present and our future. And hope goes in that upper right corner. It's Advent faith and it's about our present and it's about our future. Now the reason for this is because I want us to look at the alternative to this. And the alternative, the opposite of hope, actually is what fits in the lower left-hand corner and that is disappointment or regret or bitterness. It is something less than Advent faith, and it is what I carry around with me from my past. Now, you can take your writing instrument, and you can write whatever that is most accurately for you, and it might be helpful for you. Is it bitterness? Is it regret? Is it disappointment? Whatever it is, it's a reminder of the past that crushes the spirit. Do you see how it's the opposite of hope? Hope looks forward and it looks forward with Advent faith. The other, it looks backward. And it looks backward with regret. It is that thing. It is that person. It is that voice. It is that institution. It's that disappointment that makes hope nearly impossible for me to embrace. And the continuing result of this does move into my present and into my future. And in the lower right, you might just put a word like striving. I'm just trying to manage my way through. Uh, and I'm, and I'm, I'm trying as best as I can. But my past is filled with regret and my 
present and future is, I'm, I'm just going to manage best I know how. Well, I want to say something about this hope and regret. They, they are not good traveling companions. They don't, they don't travel well together. Regret will reduce hope. If you decide to carry that regret, if that regret resides, that bitterness resides down in here as you move forward and you want to move forward with hope, let me invite you to lose regret. Because you cannot travel in hope with it. Or bitterness. Or or disappointment. The invitation to embrace hope is a calling to release regret. Let it go. What if you did? You know, it's always dangerous to reference a movie that's over 30 years old. But I am old. Some of you know the movie The Mission. There's this iconic scene in it, and that's kind of why it still lives on. And it's a scene of this military guy who has wreaked havoc among a First Nation people, indigenous people, someplace in South America. And uh, he's filled with regret and remorse and with sorrow and with shame. So a very wise religious priest uh, encourages him to pack all of that stuff that he used to kill people and destroy things in a bag and to carry it up the cliff. And there's this, there's this we watch this guy struggle and, and go up and up, and he is just exhausted by the whole thing. And he's at a point on the cliff where he's about ready to give up. And one of the people, one of the people who he had devastated, reaches down and takes out a knife and cuts the rope. And the weight falls off of his shoulder. And he is free. And there's this powerful and riveting scene where he just weeps at the release and the grace. It is a powerful picture of Jesus' purpose through the cross. Is it possible for you to live without the dead weight that you have chosen to carry from your past? There is the cross. There is the Christ. And Advent is about Jesus coming so he could do that very thing for you and for me. To live in hope because we've released the regret. Released by the one, the only one who could hold us accountable for it. So I want to say one more thing about this before we load this whole idea of, of, uh, of hope with too much. Um, there are three words in this text that 
I said, that's why this is a passage of hope. That's why it is. And you know what those three words are? Jesus was born. That's it. That is the hope in the passage. That is the hope in the brokenness and injustice of the world. Jesus was born. Understand this. Hope is found in the presence of a person. It is not found in an institution. Hope is not found in a church in Chicago. Hope is not found in a denomination in North America. Hope is not found in an institution. Hope is not found in a list of agreed upon rules. Hope is not a group of people that amass power to influence change. Hope is a person. Do you want to have hope? Do you want to have it? This is it. Jesus was born. It is so easy for us to jump immediately to what happened after that. Uh, we read on and we find out that an institution was birthed. The church, organized religion. I mean, I even mean organized religion in the best possible sense, if you can imagine that. No, Advent hope is none of that. It is the person of Jesus. The upper quadrants are about Jesus. It is hope because of the material reality of Jesus being born. The lower quadrant, you can have that, but it's you all by yourself. You say, Mark, I gotta admit, I just struggle with the institution of the church, with its hypocrisy, with its pridefulness, with its relevance. I mean, fill in the blank. I just struggle with it, Mark. I struggle with my parents' expressions of faith. I just struggle with it. Guess what? Hope is found in a person, not a history, not a heritage that you were asked to embrace by your parents and not an institution. Advent faith is hope birthed in the person of Jesus and for us to live with him. Now, what, in that, what in, does that mean? It means he is the guiding influence in my life in every possible category. The offer found in this Advent story is Jesus. And for your life and mine to be increasingly permeated by Jesus, his presence, his power, his character, his passions. So we ask the relevant question here. Okay, what will that look like? And how do I do that? Here's the implication. I believe that Advent Hope is an invitation for us to go back into those broken places that we live with our own brokenness. Back into those places. Go back into the brokenness of the places we live and even acknowledge the brokenness in those places and in us. Hope is an ignorance. Just, just see all of it and all of the devastation of it and speak into the brokenness of that place. Jesus, be present here with your Advent hope and expect Advent hope the thing, this thing that you've decided to have to come out of you into that place. 
that Advent hope to come out of you and spill into that place. You say, Mark, you don't know me. I'm just broken. I don't care. It's not you. It's, it's the presence of Jesus that's in you in whatever size or quantity or, uh, or, 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 or amount of time that it's been true of your life. And expect, expect when, when Advent hope comes out of you in that place, to that place, I mean, Jesus was described as being characterized by grace and truth. I don't know which it will be. It might be grace that spills out of you because of the presence of Christ in you, or it might be truth that spills out of you. But whatever it is, marked by the character of who Jesus is, it will spill out and it will bring hope to that place. What will it look like? I don't know, because don't look at a pastor don't look at a friend. Don't look at your parents to tell you what it's going to be. Look at your heart and ask yourself, God, what is, what is my heart saying to me right now? What, what, is, what is my heart saying about truth I can represent in the room or grace I can represent in the room? Don't look at anybody else. Look at what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. And whatever that thing is, just let it come out. No kidding. You, as broken as you think you might be, as flawed, as poor an example others say you might be, you are it. You are the presence of hope in that place because the presence of Jesus is in us. Live out the presence of Jesus in that moment, in that place. Hope is not optimism. It is Jesus-permeated activism. Lean forward with Jesus against the storm. And then watch and see what God does. And celebrate Advent. That's what we've been given. So why don't we just take that home with us? And walk back into those places together. May God give you grace and wisdom and truth and clarity as you take hope home. Amen.